I'm reading from the book of First Timothy, beginning in chapter one, starting in the twelfth verse. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy and for this reason that is in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display in his perfect patience an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come into this text today and walk through 1 Timothy together, imagine with me for a moment, will you? Use your imaginations. Imagine you took a smartphone user's manual took that smartphone user's manual and gave it to someone, if you could, in the 18th century. And as clear as that manual was written, as simple language as it might have been communicated in, you can bet that that person in our imagination here in the 18th century read that manual, and thought it was a whole bunch of gobbledygook. And if for some reason you were able to even give them a smartphone, it would continue to be confusing. Because why? They have no context or reference. But you don't even have to go that far back in time. Just go back to 2010 when iPads came out. There was a great viral video that came out of Europe not long after that of a daughter mailing her father an iPad as a gift. Actually had it queued up to show you today and decided since it was in German, we might have no context or reference either. But as this daughter came to visit her dad, She said, well, how do you like the new iPad? He says, it works great, as he was chopping vegetables on it. To her horror. No reference or context, right? 
Now, today, all of us, whatever generation you may be, are, we're more than accustomed to using touch screens wherever we go, right? It doesn't matter how young or old you are. It seems it's all around us. But a user menu, a manual doesn't make sense if you don't have context. A touchscreen device, no matter how powerful, seems nothing better than a cutting board or a paperweight, unless you have some sort of reference. And that's why when we come to the scriptures today and we come to 1 Timothy, we need to come with some reference, some framework, some context. Because if we don't, then we're in danger of misusing God's word in the same way that that father, not having any reference for an iPad, you know, it used to be we thought those were things that were pads that went on your eyes, right? No reference and therefore misuse. We can do that with the scriptures. And that's, by the way, exactly what's being warned against here in 1 Timothy. In fact, in Martin Luther's lectures about 1 Timothy, he says precisely that. He says that there's explicit concern for not just the false teaching, that to be sure, and misunderstanding, but therefore what would follow a misuse of God's word. And it's easy to do if you don't have the right context. It's easy to do if you don't hold the scriptures to high esteem. It's easy to do if you have a misunderstanding. You can see how a church, even a church like ours, with a high view of scripture, where we come under God's word, as I like to say, and are read by it, if we use a hammer instead of a screwdriver, when it, you know, when you do that at home, usually problems persist, right? And when we do that with God's word, even with the high view of scripture, if we use a hammer, we think, for example, and Luther warned about this in this text in particular, if we use a hammer and say, well, if I just follow the list of things I'm not supposed to do in here, then I can save myself. Well, that's a good high view of Scripture, but a misunderstanding and misuse of how it's to be used, how God is intending for us to hear it. And there are those in Christ, there are those in the church or a part of a church that has a low view of Scripture that sadly feel like they can come over the word. And there too, when you take that attitude and you dismiss what's there, you dismiss what's there because, well, this is 2021 after all. We don't need this or that. Then you misunderstand and therefore misuse and miss out on the blessing that the word of God intends to bring. Just like the power of that iPad was missed out by that father, we miss out on the power of God's word. Not that the word isn't powerful or true, but that our misunderstanding 
has led us astray. And so we need context. You can see even why an atheist or someone coming to the Bible with zero context could read this with contempt, with even reading it and thinking, how silly are those Christians? It's why Dan Kimball wrote his book, How Not to Read the Bible. Because there are texts that some would call crazy, that would interpret the word of God as affirming, and you can read some texts out of context about violence or about the treatment of women or even about slavery or about all kinds of things that we would consider crazy and out of context, out of its framework, it's used oftentimes in the form of memes by those who don't believe to show how irrelevant Scripture is and and passe, which is not true. Let me give you an example. The same example Dan gives in his book. He is meeting with his barber. And his barber says to him one day, uh, Dan, you're a Bible teacher and, and pastor. Is it true that you Christians really believe in unicorns? What, you might say? Well, you only have to go to the internet to see a meme like this one, quoting from Leviticus and a few other places in the Bible where it mentions a unicorn. Well, that's if you're reading the King James Version. Here's an example of needing context, right? In 1611, when the King James Version was published, the the Hebrew scholars then didn't quite know how to translate the word that we now know with more scholarship and more understanding of Hebrew, but those in under King James' rule, didn't know how to translate. There was no problem with God's word. It was the problem with the translators. If you read the same verse in another translation today, you'll know it's a wild ox. A wild ox that has one horn. And so they translated it, and you can still read it in the King James Version as unicorn. And so you see memes like this saying, look at how ridiculous Christians are. They believe in unicorns. We need context and reference. Now, does this mean you need to be a, a Bible expert, a, a high-level scholar to be able to go home today and read God's Word? No. No more than you do have to be a a computer geek or expert to be able, well, most of the time, to be able to turn on your phone, right? Or use that iPad. But you do have to have some reference and context. Philip Jensen, for example, a scholar from Australia, when talking about 1 Timothy, tells us that We need some reference and context even for 1 Timothy. And so he suggests not to do what we're doing and starting in chapter 1 with 1 Timothy, but to start in chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, in chapter 3, the 
reason for this book is giving. Paul says, if I'm delayed, I just want you to know the reason I'm giving you this letter. Timothy, and this letter was written publicly as well, so for the whole church. It's so that the church can know the way to function, the way to live. Having some more Mandalorian fun, I thought about calling this sermon series, This is the Way, but I went with how not to read the Bible instead, but let's get back to the text. This is the way for the church to behave and live and function. A church, as verse 15 says in chapter 3, surrounded with the truth of God's word. The truth. And so how do we come to that truth? We come to it here in chapter 1, knowing that that is the purpose. It now makes sense why Paul is so concerned with Doctrine. I mean, doesn't that seem kind of boring, doctrine, right? But what we believe impacts how we live. And so, false teaching, a misunderstanding, corrupts not only what we believe, but how we live, and therefore misuses the blessing that is this gift of God's word. So we need, dear friends, this context, this reference. We need to know, for example, when we read a text, is it prescriptive or is it descriptive? We need to know when we come to a text what was before and what comes after. And we'll do that several times as we walk through 1 Timothy together. We don't want to use the word like that iPad was misused. We don't want to use and misuse the word like Luther warns us against. We want to be faithful to this word and come under it. And so we'll unpack what chapter 1 has for us by first reading verse 5. A phrase that comes before what I read for you already this morning. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What does that mean? How do I get a good conscience? How do I get a sincere faith? Well, if you think it's just following the rules, which is a a good thing, then you'll fall short and miss out on the power and blessing of what God is trying to accomplish here. But if you ignore those rules, you'll miss out just as much. And so when I read these next few verses for us that, that sound striking in 2021, we need to be remembering and be reminded that we're being read by the word. In verses 8 through 11, many have pointed out that it's in some ways a recap of the Ten Commandments. Let me read it for you here. Now we know what the law is good if one uses it lawfully and understanding this, that the law is not laid out for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy, profane. Push the pause button. That is exactly why I so often, and maybe you think at nausea now, quote Luther when I say, That the purpose of the law is to bring us to the gospel. That it's God's specialist to bring us to the gospel. 
All right, let's keep going. For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, if we dismiss these words as passe, then we miss God's law reading us and taking us to the gospel. And we are so often want to do that in our modern age. Well, look at how old uh, uh, those, those are the guidelines, those are the rules. Oh, so not 2021. But no, we come under God's word and under his authority. And if we say, well, ooh, look at me. I don't fit into any of those categories. I'm good. Then there too, you miss hearing the word of God. Because the word, the law is bringing us to the gospel. How do I know that? Well, just keep reading. And you hear Paul brag about something very strange. He brags about being a blasphemer. Basically what he's saying is, if you think all those sins were bad, wait till you look at me. Because I blasphemed the word of God. He, as, a, as a first century Jewish man, it, it could not be worse. To blaspheme the word of God means that you are guilty and you deserve death. He's letting us know that he is the foremost of sinners. And this example of the foremost of sinners receives what? What happens to this foremost sinner who blasphemes the word of God, who misuses the word of God? Exactly what we're being warned against here in the text. Well, fortunately, as the word was preached to Paul, he let the Holy Spirit come in. He was convicted. He didn't reject that word. He received it. And this is what happened. Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I have received mercy For this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. God was perfectly patient with Paul and transformed his life. And God is perfectly patient with you and with me and wants to transform our lives. Lest we not misuse God's word and ignore it and say that law is not for me. Too old school, thank you very much. Or lest we think you're too good for it and think, oh, I've got this. No, we need that word to take us to the gospel. And if we don't do that, if we misuse God's word in any of these ways, 
then we shipwreck our faith. As we hear warned in verse 19. We shipwreck our faith. We don't live under sound doctrine. We become a false teacher ourselves. And we become, instead of someone coming to grace, we become that blasphemer and we stay there. And so we need to come under the word, be read by it, and be ushered to the gospel. To live in sound doctrine is to allow God's word to read you and to take you to the grace of God. And remember the aim of our charge is, verse 5, love. And that is the love of the gospel proclaimed to us in truth. And this is how, remember, this is how the church is to live. That's how a good conscience is made possible, not by your good deeds, but the good deed of Christ on the cross. It's not throwing a dart at the dartboard with your eyes closed and wondering where it lands and that scripture is what you get without a context, without reference. No, it's reading God's word, both law and gospel. So that you and I can say with the Apostle Paul, like he reads and writes here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom we are foremost. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of kings, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.